You're listening to a podcast by the Center for Action and Contemplation. To learn more, visit cac.org. Hi, everybody. I'm Jackie Lewis, and this is Love, Period, a podcast about how we're going to love ourselves, love our posse, and love the world fiercely on the way to making our lives and the world better. My very first guest is Barbara Brown Taylor. Now, if you've read any of her books, you feel like you know her, don't you? Her writing is beautiful, evocative. Even though it's prose, it feels like poetry. And she's here because she has loved herself so well over the time I've known her and made her life exactly what she wants it to be. I think she can mentor us. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Barbara Brown Taylor. I'm so glad you're with me today. I'm happy to talk to you anytime. So what have you just finished doing before we got into this conversation? What's your immediate past? I just left a barn that is ankle deep in mud where two beefy guys were putting 60 bales of hay up in a hayloft. So it's a very rural moment ago I just had. I love it. Yeah, and there are chickens that roost up there, so I had to wade through more than mud. (laughs) That's good. Well, because we're bringing our immediate past into this present, right? Not to go all woo-woo, but we are. And I want you to tell me the same. What's your immediate moment? My immediate past was the 18 takes I did to say, welcome to Middle Church, and thank you for joining our movement for this fundraiser that this wonderful young man named Matthew Johnson Harris is doing for us called Mosaic. He said, I know you're too busy, Jackie, to do this. I said, no, babe, I'm not too busy. It'll take two minutes for me to say, welcome to Middle Church, and like join our movement. 18 takes later, (laughs) I don't know what was happening for me, but (laughs) I could not speak clear English. (laughs) I'm, I'm happy you're, you're past that moment. <laughs> Me too, because it's important for us to speak clearly right now. <laughs> Barbara, this means a lot to me that you would come and talk to me about love, period, on this podcast. I'm wondering about when you're in your rural space and you've got hay and chickens, what's love got to do with that? To quote the theologian Tina Turner, what's love got to do with that? The startling learnings for me moving to the country 25 years ago now was that my love extends to creatures and rocks and trees Mm. and to the creation around me as much as to the people. My neighbors are pretty far away where I live. You know, we're lucky if we can see each other's nightlights, but often people will say to me, don't you get lonely? And I want to invite them here to walk around and say, it's hard to get lonely with all these creatures and all this other stuff going on in the world. But I'm not discounting the human beings at all. I've spent a whole life focusing on loving human beings. But it did occur to me that all these other sentient beings could use some love too. (laughs) I've been spreading it around because they're, they're loving me all the time. You feel it coming back to you? Oh, I do. Yeah. I live on old stolen Cherokee land. They call my surroundings medicine. It just occurred to me, it's a, it is a whole medicine chest outside on my front porch when I am down to my last nerve or I'm so despairing, I can't move, or I think the world's absolutely gone down the tubes. I walk out on the porch and think, well, some of it hasn't. I mean, some of it has incredible 
beauty and red and tooth and claw also, but anyhow. So yeah, there's enough love to go around. You know, it's so hard to say what I said because I've been called a lot of names in my life. They're mostly theological names, like, you know, you pantheist, you pagan, you you woo-woo, new ager. And it, it's remarkable to me that if you shift the context to include more than the human, all of a sudden you become a pagan. What's that about? That's kind of stank. Is this the theological term I would use about that? I, like one of the things that was my big joy in my life was to have a chance to be with Father Richard Rohr and, and Dominic Crossan when Richard's book came out. To sit with these religious guys and swap theologies of inclusion that everything is Christ and everything belongs to love. I mean, I'm right there. Am I woo-woo? Maybe. Well, I'll go be woo-woo with you. You know, you didn't tell me about that meeting, but I stumbled on it online, that incredible event, because you and Richard Rohr led meditations. Yes, we did. Is that an online event? It was not. It was live. It was like two years ago live before the COVID, and in this gigantic auditorium, and I mean, Richard can make a, like a 4,000-room place feel intimate. Mm-hmm. So that was fascinating to me. But I also got a little trouble there, just a little bit of trouble. when Once you open up the woo-woo and you love the rocks and the trees and the stars, and you love all the people, including the ones who might make a choice to terminate a pregnancy, I got in just a little trouble for my comments on nobody wakes up in the morning thinking, let's go have an abortion. So how can we love folks when they make choices? Just a couple of stinky messages came from that. But otherwise, it was a beautiful time. That's a beautiful time. Hmm. Barbara, when you're out with the hay and the chickens, and for me, it's this place John and I have in New Jersey that we bought about 11 years ago. Literally, I sold something, an apartment I had, and I thought, if I put this in the stock market, bad things are going to happen because I've never done that before. And so I bought this house. And I'm looking outside, talking to you, looking at snow looking at deer trying to dance in it, looking at a red cardinal flying around to the bird feed. And it is just gorgeous. And it really does make me feel like I'm in a womb. See what I love about what you just said. I want to go, yes, check, check, check. And as you talked, this experience equips me to do the other work. Right? right? Like right. this is the the womb place, the rest place. And so it's not disconnected. It's not like you stop loving people to go love right. creation. It, it's one love. Is it not one love? And I just think there's some way in which also it puts me in context. It puts me in perspective with trees that have lived longer than I have and walls, stone walls that will be here long after I'm gone. And to get my proper place in the universe of things is also helpful, I think, for being an activist lover, right? I think so. And John would love to hear you say that. My husband, John, is not to offend anybody listening, but he says he's post-Christian, and he just marvels at the possibility that we think we're the only alive things in the world, humans, that we're the only sentient, mattering beings in the world. How arrogant of us. Of course, there's other universes with other kinds of sentient beings worshiping other kinds of gods, he says. So we should get it together and not be so uptight about it. I do think that I do think that there's something expansive about imagining, imagining life on another star and imagining that the tree feels you like you feel it when you lean against it. Or like, is it Alice Walker that would say, 
I think she says it in the mouth of Shug Avery. I knew that if I cut a tree that I would bleed, that kind of feeling. Does that resonate? It does. And you just put Howard Thurman right in front of me again as a young, a young person who found more communion with a tree in his backyard, a live oak tree, than he did with a lot of the people in his town. So, you know, his mystical experience involved that sort of thing. Yeah. It, and again, I, I defend that on the one love basis. Absolutely one love. And speaking of which, one love, how does that one love, you know, flicker off and on in your own life, Byron? I mean, I don't know about you, but I can have these moments in a day. The vicissitudes of the love I feel for myself could be off or on, off or on, off or on, depending on what time of day it is. But does that ever happen to you? Does your one love ever need to be recharged when you focus on yourself? Does it go and come? Oh, yes. We've talked about this. It mm-hmm. it does. And I think that's a kind of failure. That That's really where I give myself a, a not so hot grade is in many ways, it's easier to handle my judgmentalness about other people than it is my judgmentalness about myself. So, mm-hmm. but aging helps because more tenderness is required with an aging self. If you don't learn to forgive that increasingly tottery, wrinkly person, then it's not going to be too terrific. <laughs> going to have a tough day if you can't love your, give yourself some grace. You know, we had a, a fire at a church and, mm. you know, we're recovering and thinking about what to do next and all those kinds of things. But there, there was this really interesting thing that happened for me and things I learned in the fire. One is that I, Barbara, like I, I wore like 18 hats. This time I'm a construction consultant and this time I'm a PR person and this time I'm a preacher and this time I'm a fundraiser and this time I'm a friend and this time I'm sad and I'm mourning and this time I'm being like you know the silly goofy Grinch stole Christmas movie where the Grinch's heart grows so many times over there I did grow some love for me Mm -hmm. in the midst of the tragedy now why is that I I was so distraught some days but then I just also thought I love that Jackie that had that talk with those guys and said, I'm the decision maker. Look here when you're talking. (laughs) (laughs) The way you just said it, I love it. So when that happens for you, it's not a warm Fahrenheit feeling inside. It's actually talk. It's like, I love that Jackie, right? Yes, it is. It's uh, Zora Neale Hurston, I think, said something like, I love myself when I'm looking fierce or being fierce. It may, might be self-soothing, Barbara. It might be like my pacifier. But when sometimes when I'm in the fire, I just, I'll just have a consciousness. Like, I love that Jackie whose feelings were hurt. I love that Jackie who made it through this crazy day. I love that Jackie who was angry at someone and then called them and softened her voice and it got better. I love her. See, why in the world don't our Christian things at night, what's it called, an examine? Yes, that's right. An examine. Ooh, Barbara. Ben. <laughs> How very Episcopalian of you. <laughs> well, and it's E-X-A-M-E-N, right? But why that's doesn't it. it include that? Like tonight, I'm going to practice that. I love that Barbara who. 
dot, dot, dot. Mm. Because see, for a moment there, you you weren't struggling, but you, you were waiting to see what was going to come after. I love that Jackie who. And even the waiting for the, the rest of the sentence to come yeah. seems to me like a valuable Christian practice. <laughs> we don't do enough of that. We don't. That's good. I'm almost finished with my book. Maybe I got to put that in there as one of those practices about what it means to love fiercely, Barbara. Like how, why are we, have, why are we charged with being so hard on ourselves? What's that about? What is that about? I don't know. I think a ton of it has to do with our image of the divine. I remember when, I don't know, I, I think I was still pretty young in ordained ministry, but I realized my image of God was like a, a track coach with a whistle and a clipboard and was always whistling, saying, faster, faster, faster. <laughs> And writing down my times. And, oh my and then I just consciously switched. It stayed male, but he became a beach bum under an umbrella with a pina colada on the beach saying, hey, <laughs> hey come sit down here. Let's talk. And, and uh, things got good. a lot better after that. So, Oh, my God. Do you know Sarah Bessie, the Canadian author, or know I, of her? I know of her, and I don't know her. Uh-uh. Well, she wrote a book and a sentence she wrote in there struck me about when she switched to asking herself, how would God like to mother me today? Oh, and that really switched things, you know, from our father who art in heaven to how would God like to mother me today? Because that increased tenderness toward Mm. the me who wants also then to deliver those goods to other people. You know, how would God have me mother other people? That has always been easier. But at any rate, this is important stuff because if it doesn't begin at home, it's going nowhere. It is important stuff. If we can't be our first love object in a real way, not like, oh, you're so narcissistic, but I can appreciate the me that is a gift from God to me. I can appreciate, I can love myself, that's the way God loves myself. In a way, it's almost sacrilegious to not love yourself if you'd say God made it. How can we really make a practice of loving the God inside of ourselves, if you will, in Tosaki Shange, and also love ourselves fiercely? I think that's the way to put it for those of us who are superstitious and think <laughs> that will, if not narcissism, that we're allowed to love other people, but we should sort of be hard on ourselves, keep driving ourselves forward. and blah. It becomes something that, that is actually death-dealing as opposed to life-giving, I think, that cycle. You were saying, though, Barbara, that it is easier to ask that beautiful question, how will I mother my people? How will I mother my posse? How will I love the other is an easier question. How does it go with your posse? Who are the people that sustain you, Barbara. Does that ebb and flow? I'm going to be more honest than I usually am. And to tell you that my posse is very, very small, that I have been a hard worker all my life. And somebody pointed out to me, you can have work that matters, take care of yourself, love your immediate family and have friends. Choose three. Hmm. And I chose all but friends. I just never had many friends. I had associates and fellow workers, but Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. so I have very, very few, and they are people who've known me a long time and who are not distracted by anything going on in the last 12 minutes of our lives because we've known each other 30 years. (laughs) And my best friend will say to me sometimes when I'm complaining, she'll say, Barbara, 
I've been hearing this for decades. <laughs> <laughs> it's the most loving thing in the world. So, oh so the friends, the friends that I that are close, and and I'm expanding my friendship circle hugely during pandemic and in older age, but it's about going for walks and it's about remembering birthdays and it's about finding silly little things to put in a padded envelope and send to somebody so that it arrives on a Thursday for no reason at all. And it's mm-hmm. not so much about telephone calls. It's about letters and cards and um, and weekly check-ins. How about you though? Because my sense of you is that you are, friendship is one of your gifts of the Holy Spirit that you do that well. Oh. <sighs> That's interesting you would say that. I was thinking the other day, I'm a terrible friend right now. I I was really thinking that I was a terrible friend right now, thinking that I was really turned inward toward the community at the church and toward problem solving. But what then I got a box. Talk about a box for a Thursday. It was a box from a friend. And it had four or five different kinds of packages in it, wrapped beautifully and smelling good, you know, wonderful. And I thought, what is in this box? And, you know, this happened at Christmas time, Barbara and I. I called her and I said, can I wait on these? Can I take my time opening these? And she said, absolutely. Whenever you need some joy, you know, open one. And then I thought, well, this friend thinks I'm a good friend. Because <laughs> she went and got some stuff and wrapped it up and put it in the mail, which is something that takes more than calling Amazon or whatever. I, I do make family wherever I go. I really do make family wherever I go. And some of my posse is like my friend Mackie, who's a couple years younger than me, queer, beautiful friend who knew people I knew who knew people I knew. And then suddenly we met and it was like we had this overlapping circle that we didn't know we had. And we have these accountability dates and just say, are you doing your dream? And are you dreaming your dreams? And have a glass of wine and talk about it. I think as I've gotten older, I think I go deeper with fewer people, you know? Mm-hmm. And I have that friend who I've been saying the same thing to for decades, mm-hmm. Michael. I have girlfriend, Felicia, who we met when we both started ministry in, in Princeton. And around that are clusters of other folks, deep relationships here in New York. So yeah, I guess maybe maybe friendship is a spiritual gift and... I also feel, Barbara, that, you know, you can feel when someone you love isn't feeling you right now, right? Like, "Eh, I'm not feeling Jackie today. And if I think if you just give each other a break, Mm -hmm. then you get over it and you get back in love again. Does that ever happen to you? Mm -hmm. It does. It does. And then also, I think no one ever said to me, and there are friendships that make their trip around the sun a couple of times and they're done because somebody had a baby or somebody moved away or somebody broke with the way they used to live and are doing a new thing. And I always saw that as a failure, like friendships had to be cumulative, but there've been a few that ended gracefully and not, you know, not at all with any harsh feelings in it. And that has been a bit of a relief to see that as also true. Like there can be a beginning and a middle and an end to a story. Yeah, some of them have life cycles. And I had a a friend who was uh, my editor for books and books and books and books. And she's in Rhode Island and I'm here. And we just, I think it's fair to say, loved each other a bunch. But at one point she said, I just find myself now so eager to be a neighbor to my neighbors and to be where I am. It saddens me. We don't talk as much, but 
it's good we're living our local lives. And she said it more eloquently than that, but it was a gentle way of telling me that we would be sending Christmas cards and not not a lot more because, you know, she wasn't my editor anymore. And I don't know, it was sweet. She's really the one who taught me that, that some she, friendships ha- have a life cycle. She broke up with you, Barbara. Is that what you... <laughs> <laughs> She wrote you a Dear Barbara note, did she? <laughs> Jackie, Jackie, you said she wasn't feeling the Barbara? I think she wasn't feeling it. Oh, my goodness. Oh. <laughs> oh, well, maybe she made some space for us to be able to have this conversation. That's good. So good. Her loss. That's so, that's so gracious. Yeah, for you to say it that way. Yeah, I think so. I think we people drift away. And that's okay, right? Doesn't have to be tragic. Doesn't have to be tragic. Don't have to... See a therapist about it, unless you need to, in which case, you know what, do it. I have been thinking about these, you know, this love, this fierce love is these three circles, kind of you with yourself, you with your immediate people, and then you with the world. And I wonder what you think about that. Is there some relationship between my ability to love me and my ability to be a lover in the world? There is. And as you talk about those three circles, my immediate reaction is I can visualize the highs and lows of, of love of the divine within me. And mm-hmm. and in my immediate circle, world is mighty abstract. Like which, mm-hmm. which continent, which situation yeah. in which continent, mm-hmm. which people in which situation in which continent. I just found a, a nonprofit called Women for Women International through a cookbook, but it's women who are living in war-torn countries or countries recovering from war. And that is what I'm after, is um, something that brings the world into focus so that I can think of a country and a people and a situation and a name. Um, So certainly all three of those circles are connected but I do find loving the world can be so abstract it means nothing it means nothing but maybe writing 12 checks at the end of the year love period will continue in a moment Is there life after doom? Explore the complexity of hope and grief at our upcoming event, Courage and Resilience, an online gathering with Brian McLaren. Unpack themes from Brian McLaren's new book, Life After Doom. Discover how to find courage, even when everything may feel hopeless. Join us live on May 17th at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. All those who register will have access to the recorded replay for one year. Register at cac.org courage. When you talk about loving the world, what what is what fills what's the the image that goes with that? That is such a good question. Is that other organization? Is that Zainab Salvi's organization by any chance? This sounds right because the yeah. cookbook dealt yeah. largely Middle Eastern countries, yeah. but also yeah. in. Uh-huh. I think that's her group. Uh, yeah, that's. A, I just love that question, Barbara. Uh, what do I see? Yeah, I have. It's so weird. I have this. Have in mind this. Alice Walker book I read it's The Light of My Father's Smile maybe is the title and it was a kind of a novel to make a point type book and there was this tribe of people that were El, the El Mundo the world mm-hmm. it's in my in my mind that I think this is what you're saying 
I actually don't think love all the people in that village in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. I do kind of see love the people that you met in Ghana or love the people in the province in China where that old lady pulled your hair and, and, and flashed a kind of toothless smile and invited you to touch hers mm-hmm. and love that that weird guy in the church in Paris who was a little weird, but, you know, nice. I think I, I think I probably hover over a couple of particular places and say, this is the world. And that's what I mean. And, the, and, those, and those little particular people in that particular place stand in for the whole world. Something like that. That's, How about you? Well, before I leave that, though, it also occurs to me where you live, where you're not mm. stacking hay in a loft, mm-hmm. you could love the world by loving your immediate community. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. In New York City at Middle Collegiate, East Village, my imagination is that to love the world also means intentionally going beyond loving my tribe, you know, my tribe alone, to put myself in any situation, whether it's in the East Village or Ghana or China, where I am called beyond my tribe to love people whose language I may not even speak unless it's body language. And what better language is there than body? Yeah. And touch my hair. And may I I touch your hair? Touch your hair. It's just true, Barbara. And I think that's, you know, in my crazy multi-ethnic, all the things church, right? There's somebody there who speaks Mandarin, whose folks are in the province. You know, there's someone there from Lithuania or from Afghanistan or from Paris the particularity of their stories, even as they sit in a pew or be online now, I do feel like I'm connected to Joy's mom, you know, in Beijing. And some of our members move away. So somebody went to Australia and to Bendigo and somebody went to New Zealand. And then when we went to New Zealand, we got to see Janice Wong. Mm. So I, and do I travel so I can be a part of a world? I think I do. I collect travel more than I collect stuff. Mm-hmm. There is nothing like that. When I taught college, one of Piedmont College's best programs was May Mester Travel Abroad. Mm. And when I first started there in the late 1990s, there were people who had never left their county in Georgia. There were people who had never been on an airplane. There was someone who got accepted to a program in Australia and decided not to go because he was too afraid to fly that far. And yet when people did get up the nerve to go, to Italy or Peru or all the places they went, they would come home changed, absolutely changed to leave their vernacular and to eat and laugh and live and sleep and wake up internationally changed their lives so much. So it is true, right? It is true, except for the young man who came home from Italy. And I said, well, what did you like the most? He said, well, I'll tell you what I like the least is they don't offer free refills on Coke. (laughs) (laughs) i invited him to think a little bigger (laughs) oh my gosh we went to italy with friends and had ordered all the stuff you can do now online you know this is seven years ago or something and got over there and most of the stuff we had bought online didn't work so we did not have tickets to the vatican we did not you know we just didn't and the People that were standing in line, all these people that were standing in line to get into the Vatican could tell we we smelled American, we looked American, we were American. Mm. And there was this kind, like, wave of 
we should let these folks go in here. Mm -hmm. And we got in. Though nobody pulled my hair there, I did feel that there was a hospitality and neighborliness almost everywhere we've been. One, one island where somebody called us, called us names, but almost everywhere we've been, just people are so nice. You know, you just reminded me, Rabbi Sachs of Blessed Memory now, it was the first person who taught me that Torah has 39 commands that in some way or another call us to love the stranger yeah. and only one that calls us to love the neighbor. And your story just reminded me of how revolutionary it is when you are the stranger, you are the stranger that someone is loving or being kind to or uh, or allowing into the Vatican ahead of them. So I, I love flipping it. I get so, I don't know, obedient as a Christian sometimes. I forget I am often the recipient of the mercy and the grace and the, the person who's willing to love me, the stranger. So, so did you get in? We did. We did get in. And we just got in. And, the, and then the guys who were about to close it up were like, uh, and my friend Laura said, please, we've come all this way. And they let us in. Everywhere, people were just full of grace and stranger love. Barbara, did I ever tell you the story of uh, being a young woman driving across Canada with my bow on the way to Louisville, Kentucky? We lived in Rochester, and I was driving in this car to Louisville, Kentucky, across the QEW, not driving fast, a beautiful September day, my turn to drive, switched seats, and something happened to the car to where this car pulled over four lanes of traffic, spun around 360 four times, and flipped over on the sunroof. Mm. Flipped over like a movie stunt and, was, and bounced more than once, three times, and then landed on the tires. Is this, you're in this car? I'm in this car. Nope. Oh, my word. I'm in this car with my bow holding me in my seat, my seatbelt not, I hadn't finished buckling my seatbelt, and my head went inside and outside of the sunroof, and we walked away from that accident. Mm. Michael had an abraded hand, and I had a headache. And the car was not totaled. You know, they managed to not total it because it was a brand new car. But the miracle also was that I was in Canada as a young woman with no credit card and like $100 or something. And my husband, I said my beau, we had just gotten married. He, he went to the um, emergency room and stayed overnight. And I had nothing. I had no room in the end. There was nothing for me. They wouldn't let me stay in the hospital. I had no money. I'm standing at the phone banks crying, and this lady, petite white lady with brown hair, walks over to me and just loves me and says, what's going on with you? Why are you crying? My husband, we just got married. I almost killed us. I don't have any money. Barbara, she took me to a hotel. She paid the room. She bought me food. She bought me toothbrush, toothpaste, all the stuff that had been trashed in the car came the next morning, took me to the hospital, took me to the rental car agency. Can you imagine this? How old were you when this happened? 22. Oh, my word. 22. There's something about her real good Samaritan, good Canadian-ness that really makes me think about how 
Like that's love the world. You know, I was a black Afro wearing American mm-hmm. and she just loved me all across those borders. Mm-hmm. What a story. What a story. See, and you call to mind all the times. It's different. She came up to you, but you call out my cynicism, you know, about how many times <laughs> I've been approached by people and I could have just helped. I could have just, what would it have hurt me to help? I want to be her. And then I want to be you. Well, I want to be you, but that's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> you know, well, of course we're cynical. You know, I mean, the world teaches us to be cynical, but also she is inside me now. Mm-hmm. Like passing it forward, you know, when do I then, you know, that we went to the border and there's this lady who was trying to get into the detention center, whatever, get through the wall, I guess is what I want to say. Mm-hmm. And she had a little boy with her and they just kind of tried to lock him up. And a bunch of us were like, not on our watch. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think if the Canadian lady hadn't helped me, I, I would say no to more people, you know. Her, her saying yes to me makes, makes me sometimes say yes. Mm-hmm. You were 22, and she's inside you. She is. And I think narratively. So it's a wonderful thing when I can walk through the world and realize there's a story being made today, right now, and I'm in it. And mm-hmm. so is that person, and so is that person. Mm-hmm. And if I'm community to make it a better story instead of a worse story, what a wonderful way to use the day. And it's very corny, but I do think sometimes just to get up in the morning and say, I'm going to try to make somebody's day today, just tiny. It could be tiny. There's this wonderful, well, wonderful. There's one homeless person I can identify in my town of 1,500 people. And a number of people care for her in different ways. But one day she was out on a median at a kind of intersection we have, and she had just made some paintings to sell. She never asks for money. She always offers to vacuum your car out at the car wash. Or But that day she was um, selling her paintings. And what a story to be part of. I just said, I want one and started to take the top one. She said, no, you have to look at them all. I want you to get the one you want. Oh. <laughs> it was just it, like, she wouldn't let me just give her charity, you know, just give her a yeah. dollar for a painting. She wanted me to choose one of them. At any rate, it was just a little thing, but it was a story I'll never forget of just a moment of needing that started out just being between somebody with a dollar and somebody who needed a dollar. And it ended up being a laugh fest between <laughs> Strangers. Yeah, two strangers at an intersection. But anyhow. That's what it is, right? Every day. Mm-hmm. Every day to, this is love. We could call it something else. But I think the love is, what could I do today to make somebody's day? So if I'm an accountant, I'm a love accountant. Does mm-hmm. it count if it's, I mean, clearly what happened with the Canadian woman is giant. Can it be, can love be a flash, a flash and it's gone? And and then it can also be a 40-year commitment. And then it can also be, a, I mean, can it take a whole lot of skins? Can it be a whole lot of containers? Absolutely. Okay. It, it would help me sometimes. I think there's a bullet list, a requirement list. It's not love and less, dot, dot, Ooh. dot. See? Yeah. Ooh, yeah. That feels really true to me. And therefore, therefore, why bother even, you know, like if I'm not going to, if I'm not going to get the A plus on love, why, you know, why bother at all? I think we've done that to, to love. I think we've both trivialized it and I think we've complicated it and I think we've codependent it 
And I think we've um, romanticized it and eroticized it. Mm. But the impulse, Diogenes, no, it's not Diogenes, Alan. It's, it's Jim Loader. I was Googling that wrong for so long. My teacher, Jim Loader, said love is the unpossessive regard, the non-possessive regard for the unique particularity of another. The non-possessive regard for the unique particularity of another. So I'm standing in a grocery line and I see a woman in a hijab and I think, gosh, she's wrestling with that toddler. I wonder if I could distract the kid. Isn't that love if I distract your kid? Mm -hmm. I want it to be. I want it to be big Mm -hmm. and small and quick Mm -hmm. and slow. Mm -hmm. I want it to be all of that. I want to give up love accountancy (laughs) and let it flash the way it flashes. And I do want to hold myself to some long, committed, expensive loves. I do, because I live on the daily flashes. But I also want some expensive love that really asks a lot of me that's hard and I get those too, so. That's beautiful the way you say that, Barbara. Some expensive love that's hard. That is like the kind of love that etches something in our soul, right? Something, something that transforms our soul because we stick it through, through the... I got divorced and my mom said, I think you got my divorce. I was like, I think you're right. <laughs> you <know? laughs> but, you know, that, that kind of stick through it thing that she and dad did, even when we would sometimes think, oh my goodness. And I'm not saying, listeners, everybody should stay married to the people that are not, are not being well to them. I'm saying relationships that last through the ups and downs do etch something on our souls, I think. Mm-hmm. Barbara, what do you know for sure about love? I know for sure about love that if it's happening, I will forget myself in it. For a while, I'll be in a, that flow moment, that bliss place. And honest to goodness, I mean, in a hospice room with my daddy, who's mm-hmm. not got, I mean, that can be a weird bliss state of self-forgetfulness. So I know that. I know that when I'm loved well by somebody who knows all of me, it's the most redemptive thing in the world. If God is 25% as gracious as some of the gracious people in my life. I am home free. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's two. I go for three because I'm a Trinitarian, but I'd rather hear two of yours. How do you know for sure? What do you know for sure? Love can heal a thing. I think you and I have talked before about our dads. My dad loves ferociously and is ferocious uh, sometimes. And I really believe that when my mom got diagnosed with lung cancer, the love he had for her that was sometimes not focused, sometimes diffuse, you know, sometimes perhaps more platonic than, than um, romantic. His love just like rose up like a, you know, phoenix, just loved her so hard and so good and so faithfully and stridently. I think it changed him, Barbara. He became the softer guy and he is softer. And mommy's dead now, three years, but he's like a softer guy. He's loving my sister like a mother, you know? He's loving my brothers like a mother. He's, he's loving me like a mother. Oh, wow. He'll say, I'm your only parent. What can I do for you? Oh. What? <laughs> so love, love can heal a thing. Oh, and it sounds like the healing's 360. It sounds like it healed him too. Oh my God, it 
did, you know? Yeah. I'm going to remember two words you put together just in that he loves stridently. Mm. I've never heard those two words together. They're so mm. good together. Does that work? <laughs> yeah, I, I love it. Yeah. yeah, it's like, a, I'm going to love you whether you let me or not. Not exactly. <laughs> I know for sure that love heals a thing. And also that love is sometimes the most important thing. You know, you think narratively, and I love thinking narratively. The story is driving my world. My mom is dying, and she's just saying over and over again in different ways, I love you, as, as I sleep in the hospital room with her. I love you. I love you. Like, lots of different ways, you know. <laughs> in hospice, your dad was there, right? And like, they're losing of strength. And how many different ways can I say I love you? Yeah. I, I thought that says everything. I think I told you at one point the neurologist came in and asked my dad to name me. He said, who is this here with you? And dad tried and he couldn't remember my name, but he just looked at me and said, she's the one I love. Oh. And I just thought when your brains don't have even a proper noun left, they know who you love, right? Yes. So I'm hanging on to that. I. That's so beautiful. You're the one he loves. Yeah, and I wasn't the only one he loved, but but that was his name for me. She's the one I love. That's a good name. That's a great name. Barbara Brown Taylor, that's a great name too. I am so glad that I have found you in the universe. You know, when I was a person reading your books early in my ministry, I just, I loved you. I loved your words. I loved your truth. You are a fantastic writer. I think I've told you before, I make myself throw away your manuscript. The last time you, I was I said, I can't, if I keep this manuscript, I had to shred it. I'm like, I will just steal her words. You're such a beautiful writer. But also, Barbara, a beautiful soul. And in the way that you hope, I hope I reflect back to you, Barbara. How lovely, how lovely you are. I'm going to take that. That's that's the uh, present you just wrapped up for me, and I'm going to open it more than once. Thank you. You're so welcome. Thank you for coming to talk to us. Take care, dear heart. You too, love. Take care. Bye. Love period is... Corey Pig. Paul Swanson. Izzy Spitz. Sarah Janzak. Jenna Kuiper. Sarah Palmer. Nicholas Kramer. And I'm Calissa Brewster. This podcast is produced by the Center for Action and Contemplation, which is located in the heart of New Mexico, thanks to the generosity of our supporters. We also have other podcasts you might like. You can find those wherever you like to listen by searching for Center for Action and Contemplation or visit us at cac.org to find out more about our other programs. From the high desert of New Mexico, We wish you peace and every good.